Hey, 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 what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger, and today we are going to be discussing using third-party libraries within Angular code. Uh, so let's get after it. Our panelists today, we've got Austin McDaniel joining us. Austin, what's going on? How's it going, everyone? Happy to be on. And we got Bonnie Brennan with us. Bonnie, how's it going? Hello, it's great. Awesome. Awesome. Our guest today is Joe Skeen. Joe, what's going on? Oh, it's a beautiful day here in Salt Lake City, except for all the smoke from the fire that went on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Well, we're glad you're joining us. Uh, why don't you give our viewers a little background on who you are, what you got going on, that sort of thing, so they can get to know you. Sure. Um, I've been programming as long as I can remember. Um, it's just a lot of fun to be able to put things together and see how they work and tweak it and and make things even better. Um, but if I wasn't a developer, I would be a teacher because I absolutely love, you know, sharing knowledge with other people, helping them understand things. And that moment when the light bulb just turns on and they're like, oh, I totally get it. It's just a total payoff for me. <laughs> so I really like um, doing teaching and I've started doing some conference uh, talks locally here, and uh, I spoke at ng-conf this last year. So it's just a lot of fun. I enjoy doing stuff like this, and so I'm really happy to be on the show. And I think everybody everybody has to recognize your uh, your daughter. I think your daughter kind of stole the show. Your adorable little daughter, Gwen, was <laughs> so cute. She was like the star of ng-conf, and she was adorable. How she she was, and she knew it. <laughs> <laughs> She's doing great. She's in first grade now. In fact, uh, she's in school right now. And uh, but we're getting really excited about you know between things when she's not doing homework and stuff, doing some more coding stuff. In fact, I'm looking to start a local meetup group here in Salt Lake for people who have kids that are interested in coding, and they can just That's go so and learn about that. And she's, um, and I'm assuming she's going to be part of that because she's adorable. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And you're going to bring her back to NGConf, I hope. I I hope so. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, she's wanting to do it again, so we'll probably give it a shot. She was super cute. Thank you. Yeah, that, that sounds really interesting. Uh, you know, especially getting getting more kids involved, uh, you know, uh, some of us have kids and we've been thinking about that and uh, yeah, that'll be cool. You have to let us know, keep us updated on that. Absolutely. All right, so third party libraries and using them within Angular. Uh, let's talk about that. Yeah, so uh, th this is a topic that I've kind of been thinking about for a while. Um, it seems like a lot of times when a group of people who have web technologies already in their company or you know existing projects they want to move to angular but they've got so many ties to third party libraries and they've invested a lot of time and uh, effort into working with these libraries and getting them to work the way that the business needs them so a lot of times you know it's not super obvious how you can use angular with these libraries and uh, you know, be able to get all the benefits of Angular without having to just go and rewrite everything. 
So when you're um, talking about third-party libraries now, are you talking about you know the Angular Bootstrap project or something like you know those type of libraries, or are you talking about you know projects that might not necessarily be written in Angular? Maybe we're talking like jQuery widgets or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, more like that because I mean a lot of the Angular things have really good documentation on how to get them into your Angular project, um, but you know for as you said jQuery widgets or other popular JavaScript libraries, or even some in-house libraries that may have been built by a company, um, those still have value. And um, wanted to talk today about how we can kind of incorporate that into your Angular projects and still kind of be able to get most of the benefits that Angular has to offer, um, not having to sacrifice ahead of time compilation or testability or things like that when putting those in. Yeah, there's a lot of those challenges that come up, right? When it's not when these third-party libraries are not Angularified for us already, right? And we have to tackle that. So that'll be really right. interesting to hear how. Yeah, we, how we I, I know a lot of um, engineers that will, when they get started, they're like, "Oh, look for an Angular plugin for X, Y, or Z," right? And you know, sometimes there isn't one, and sometimes there is one, but it's not very good. So it, it's very important to understand kind of how you can. Um, thread those libraries in to the fabric of your Angular app. So to start off, like, what are some of the challenges that you see when you, you try to integrate these, these libraries? Well, a lot of times, uh, a lot of the libraries are written kind of with ECMAScript 5 in mind. And uh, you look at Angular and, you know, you've got TypeScript and Webpack and ES6 and all this stuff it just looks very foreign and not very much like what you would see in any kinds of documentation or tutorials for these other libraries um, so it can be a little bit intimidating um, also as i said before you don't want to sacrifice some of the great things that come with angular 2 and above um, like the ahead of time compilation and the you know dependency injection and everything like that there's it's definitely some naive approaches you could take putting things in and just kind of clobbering all that while you're at it. Um, you know, so you mentioned AOT and, and dependency injection, things like that. Uh, another thing that I've found that comes up a lot too is um, how it plays with change detection too and some of those challenges mm -hmm. there, right? Especially yes, that's very true. Code that has like uh, set timeouts or intervals in it in these mm -hmm. third party libraries. You got to be aware that that's you know, with the monkey patching and the zones, it's firing change detection. So now you got to do some stuff around there. So there's a lot of things that you got to kind of get ready to to bring in these third party libraries for, or be aware of, right? And some of them Absolutely. are not that, that apparent. No, and and definitely some of them are easier to integrate than others. But uh, I have a few examples that I've put together over the weekend that should hopefully give you some ideas of different approaches you can use um, depending on the library to be able to get it to work with your Angular app and get it to work well. When you're using, you know, kind of talking about the change detection, when you're using these apps, like there's this concept like single source of truth for your DOM. And so really in an ideal world, like Angular is the only thing touching your DOM and it makes the DOM, like for Angular, it makes it predictable and what's going to mm -hmm. be there. So when right. you have these external libraries that are actually touching the DOM and manipulating it kind of like 
creates now I've got multiple different things all touching the DOM and Angular is like the single, you know, one that should be doing it. So great mm -hmm. well together is, is very difficult from what I've seen. Yes, I agree with that. And uh, I guess that's, that's a good thing to kind of start off on is kind of a disclaimer. Um, even though you can integrate just about any JavaScript library with Angular, sometimes depending on the case, it may or may not be the best thing. As you said, introducing some libraries, like just off the top of my head, some certain jQuery things just kind of do whatever they feel like doing, and they can kind of mess up your, your ability to keep the DOM under wraps with Angular. But uh, we're just going to assume for today that you've done the research, you've tried to look for alternatives that work with Angular, things that would work, um, but you kind of get to the point where it's either you don't go with Angular or you have to use this library with Angular. And so that's kind of the assumption we'll operate on today with the examples we're going through. Yeah, I got one other thing that kind of comes to mind too uh, in this is the setup and, and delivery of these third-party libraries to the uh, client to the browser, right? And so like if we're using something like the Angular CLI to power our Angular app, that story may becomes e a little bit easier, but if we're not, then we need to kind of think about like the delivery, right, of that and, and then the usage of that within our code, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. That. Stuff that, uh, you know, one of the issues I've had to work with in the past is, you know, talking about what you were just saying, Justin, is things that pollute the global do or the global window object they attach to the window object so you have to like have these I forgot what it's called now but there's like a webpack provide plugin that lets mm -hmm. you like shim that so those are some other challenges um, that I can think of that I've had to deal with in the past definitely definitely all right so you want to uh, you want to get in there show us some stuff and kind of take a dive through some things yeah absolutely um, and I'll try to pace it so that we can get through all the examples because there's a lot of good stuff here. Um, but uh, I just wanted to kind of go through a few of the popular libraries that most people would be aware of and kind of show how you would um, wire those into your Angular app. Um, so because I'm worried about, you know, making sure the AOT works and everything, um, I've started with the Angular Universal Starter. Um, I probably could have done the same thing with CLI or with um, the ASP.NET Core Starter or you know a few others, but I think that most of the principles should be the same. Let me go ahead and share my screen and we can get started. Let's see. How do I share my screen on here? Let's see. So on the toolbar on the left, there should be like a green screen share button. Ah, I see it. Perfect. All right, can you see VS Code there? Yep. Excellent. Okay, and just for everyone's uh, knowledge, I'm, I've posted this these examples um, at my GitHub um, profile, wow, it's really small. 
and it's I have see where did it go? There we are. I like that. Job like that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's called NG Integrations. Um, I just forked it from Angular Universal Starter. So if you go and look at Joe Skeen, um, you should be able to find the NG Integrations. Um, and I'm sure we can include a link to that in the video um, on YouTube as well. But we'll go ahead and get started here. So this is just the the Universal Starter, as I said. I haven't done anything special with it yet. Um, so the first example I wanted to cover is D3. Who here has worked with D3 before? Yeah, everyone. <laughs> it's a pretty awesome library. Um, and I just went and looked at these examples here and I thought, you know, it'd be cool to do a bubble chart kind of like they have here, but do it as an Angular component. And so that's going to be our first example here. We're going to go ahead and switch over here. And there we go. Sorry, just getting things up on my other screen so I can actually look intelligent here. Oh, boy. There we go. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. I've taken the D3 example there, and you can find the source code on the website. I'm just going to create a D3 folder here for our D3 example. And to save us a little bit of time, I'm just going to pull some code over here. So I'm going to make a module for that, D3. Module.ts and nothing too crazy here. I haven't defined these uh, components yet, but we're just basically routing there, and we're also going to um, put it through the dependency injection. One of the first things I like to do um, when I'm bringing in a third-party library is wrap it up in its own file. For Angular. Um, this is kind of a, a convention I like, putting the name of the library.lib.ts. Um, and then what you can do is you can create an injection token for it so it can go in through the dependency injection. Um, and you import the library, and then you can export basically everything from the library, its types, and everything so that you can kind of just use that file rather than having to go to the actual library in your component. Hey, Joe, um, can I pop in with a comment there? Absolutely. I love this so much. And the reason why is because there was a project that I was working on that was kind of a large project. And we had a dependency for another, something that we were using quite a bit and it was used throughout our, our, uh, our project. And for whatever reason, we had to change. We needed a new vendor to handle that for us. We switched to some new software. And it was such a pain to go through all of our files. I mean, it was like 85 different files that we had to go through and change that because we were calling that third party. And if we had done all of that in a separate file, it, we would have only had to change it one place. So this is beautiful. I just want to say that. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> all right. So I'm going ahead and installing d3 there. It looks like I probably haven't installed Angular either. 
<laughs> um, so we'll let that happen in the background for a second here. But it, um, the other good thing, really quick, about that too is that it gets you into the dependency pipeline, right, with the third-party mm -hmm. lib, and so now you're doing it kind of like the Angular way, right, um, which is also ideal for for getting those in rather than just referencing them off the global scope or something. Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people even on like on Stack Overflow and everything where it's like, how do you use this with Angular? And they're like, oh yeah, you just import it and then you use it directly. And I'm like, man, that makes it a lot harder to test. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. really That's exactly it. Okay. Yep, it's that in inversion of control in that testing scenario that where it really shines. Exactly. And unfortunately, this starter doesn't come with tests like the CLI does, so I won't be able to demo that really easily. But you'll see that magic if you try doing it. It's amazing. Okay, let's see if I've got everything now. Or you can be like me and learn this stuff the hard way. There we go. Now it's happy there. Okay, so we've, we've wrapped up D3 here. And again, just to walk you through this, this is an injection token, which is basically a manual way of um, threading something through the dependency injection in Angular. You create this token, you call it whatever you want. Um, I think that's actually optional. You can just make an injection token. Um, I'm just going to export it there. And then in the module here, I can say, um, whenever you're asked for this token here, use this value which here is just the D3 library um, that we've exported here. So we imported everything as, as D3 lib and then exported D3 as that. So that's just basically same thing as if you had just imported it directly. We're just passing it through there. Um, also, I've uh, created a type alias here so that we can um, be able to, when we get to our constructor, we can give it a type and everything should just work. Um, okay, so I think that's enough for that. Let's go ahead and create a component that uses this. So I'm going to call this D3 sample uh, chart dot component. If I can type .ts. Okay, so this is mostly just the um, this is mostly the code that's on the example. I have done a little bit of massaging uh, with it, and afterwards you can kind of take a look and see what I've done with it. But the the core of it is basically the same. The thing that I have changed is where the source of data is coming from. Um, in the D three example online, they have a um, CSV file that they're pulling from and they use um, d3.csv to read the data in. In my uh, version, I wanted it to be able to pass data from Angular into the uh, chart and have it be able to update. After all, that's one of the great things of Angular, right? Right. Uh, another thing that I um, have done to kind of help with this is I threw an interface together so let me put that in there. Chart data element .ts. And this is just basically going to give a contract for passing stuff into this chart. Um, so the data that we're passing in just has to have 
you know, a name, a category, and a value. Um, so as I said, this is where the injection's happening here. We've, we're injecting this D3 token, and since you know we don't have anything else to go off of for Angular at runtime for the um, for providing this, usually you can just use interfaces. But in this case, the interfaces wouldn't exist, and and uh, TypeScript wouldn't know what to do. You can't tell. Um, Angular to provide an interface. You have to have something, some kind of um, object there. So that's what we're doing here, using the inject, and then we using the type there. And so now this is just wired in, and it's just as if you had wired in any kind of service in Angular. You can use it like that. Um, now there is a little bit of a caveat there, because D3 does do some manipulation of the DOM, and so um, it, when you're doing things with ahead of time compilation, because you have to be very, very careful that it's not trying to manipulate the DOM directly on the server. Um, so that's the next part of it here. So I have my SVG that it's going to be manipulating here. Um, but I've also imported after view in it um, and implemented that there. And basically that's just a lifecycle hook that allows um, you to run some code after all of the DOM is there and checked and everything. Um, and so I'm, I'm doing that after that. Now, I haven't had any problems with this with the ahead of time compilation. You'll see later in the jQuery example that there is some troubles here and I have to do a little bit more guarding. But this for me works. Um, the other part of it is being able to wire into the change detection here. So what I've done is we've got this input data, and so I'm listening on ng on changes, and I'm going to also update the chart then. So that's basically it. Does anyone have any questions about that? You kind of get where I'm going with this. I, I do about the, uh, where did you bring that the D3 library in and, and the types for that? D3 library? Oh, yes. That's a good point. Um, so I just uh, npm installed D3 and uh, did the save dev for at types slash D3. So the definitely typed um, repository has type definitions for D3. And can you explain really quick why that is a valuable step as we bring these third-party libraries in that we want to try and look for those types? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, I know that there's, you know, some people that think either way about, you know, the usefulness of TypeScript. I find it very, very useful um, to be able to check and make sure you're doing things the way that you think you're doing them. And in this case, when you're bringing in third-party libraries and kind of mixing things together, it's really good kind of as a, to keep your sanity as you're mixing things together to have these types straightened out. Um, definitely typed is a repository that was started by the community, and they're just out to describe all these popular JavaScript libraries with TypeScript definitions. Um, I've actually um, contributed to it as well. It's a really great source of insane uh, tooling for these JavaScript libraries as you're using them. So can you go back to the interface real quick that you set up? For yep, for sure. Let's see. No, that's a good question. Yep. 
Uh, I'm sorry, actually the, the lib TS, sorry. Oh, one. this one. Yeah, okay, so you've brought in D3 as a library in your NPM, installed that. Then you've also installed the types for D3. And mm -hmm. that on line six, what you're doing with that type that you're setting up for capital D3 is you're yep. allowing that to flow through your injection token setup essentially so yep. that um, be because you have the type so that if somebody used the D3 lib directly, um, then they would get the type hinting and everything. But because right. you've wrapped it kind of an injection token, you got to flow that through. So now you've also grabbed the, the types from that D3 lib and mm -hmm. passing that through. So now everything's going to be nice when you get into your component and you get some, you know, uh, IntelliSense type of uh, typing. Right. And you, you see, I aliased it here and I can just say D3 dot and I've got everything that you can do with D3. And so that's really, really awesome. Just like what you get when you're working with Angular directly. So. And then it, really quick, if we run into and we use a third-party library that doesn't have typings out there, um, mm -hmm. what, what's kind of the strategy on there? Do we go out and start thinking about like writing our own type definitions for that, or do we just kind you of know, I, roll with it? I, I would love to cover that topic in depth on another occasion, but basically, yeah, you, you have a few different options. You can either any type it and then just trust yourself to do it right, or you can create your own kind of stub definitions like sometimes um, there there's like a jQuery library that doesn't have a definition so I'll just do something like declare interface jQuery and then you know uh, like that something like that and then it will actually allow you when you have a jQuery object it will extend that interface and allow you to call pop up on it Another so you can do things like that. Another thing that if you don't have types and you don't have the time to blow out all the types, and I think it was TypeScript 2.2, they introduced the ability to like alias any, everything that could fall beneath that. So it's like declare module and then it's like export star as any or something like that. That way you don't even have to fill out functions there. And, That's and, a good point. And also um, they've, they've improved their ability to look into JavaScript libraries and figure out what's exported from it. So you can get some actual limited um, help even when there aren't type definitions available. It won't be as good as with the definitely typed, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, and that's a big thing that they're working to improve, you know, the gap between, um, and I've spoke with some of the team members, and the gap between what's typed and what's not it can be really frustrating. So improving that experience and getting more type libraries out there for the things that aren't TypeScript is something they're very much uh, actively pursuing and trying to improve. Yep, absolutely. All right, so um, let's let's go ahead and I'm gonna run this. Um, Oh, whoops, hold on. I'm doing this in my other window just a second here. So I think that's all we need there. Oh, the next thing that we need, so we've created this component here. We also need to um, create something that actually uses it. So I have a D3 sample component that I built out. D3 sample component.ts. 
And here we're oh, we're actually going to use a data service that I'm creating. Let's see. Just so you can see, I'm not doing any hand waving here. Whoops, .ts. And I, I've uh, for this example, I've I went out to Angular.io, and uh, they have a um, JSON document that describes the entire Angular API, and I just kind of copied that into here so that we have a good data set to work off of. So the, the original example for D3 was um, showing the Flare class hierarchy. I wanted to do something a little more Angular. And so here's all of the, the classes in Angular. Kind of big nice. data set there. So I've uh, wrapped it in Observable just for the purpose of doing this. I'm not doing too much with the back end, so I didn't pull it through there. Um, but what we've got here in this D3 sample component is we're just basically using our sample chart. We're binding the data in, um, and that's about it. So grabbing that, um, we have to massage the data a little bit to get it to this chart data element interface that I've created here um, and to get it to work with the D3 hierarchy. Um, so there's not a whole lot going on there. Let me go ahead and open this up in the browser, and you can see what this looks like. Post uh, 8000. Okay, so, oh, and I, I did a couple of other things like routing and all that jazz. But this is the, the Angular API. It's kind of cut off. And the weights for the circles, uh, I didn't have time to do anything cooler. I just, the, the number of characters in their name, so the really tiny. Circles are the really short names. But yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, it didn't take me very long. It took me maybe a couple of hours to pull this entire example together. So it's not too hard to pull in D3 and get it to work with Angular. Nice. That's very nice. OK, let's see. 12.30? OK. So for the next example, I wanted to um, bring in some other things that people like to use. Um, this example I'm going to call, well, call this level, call it dates. And we're going to do some date manipulation stuff. And what is the best library to use when doing date manipulations? Moment? Yeah. At least I'm partial to it. So we're going to go ahead and bring moment in. Um, and moment.lib.ts I'm going to create. And now I've done something that's slightly different this time, um, and I'll explain why. Moment. And yarn types moment dev. Okay, so this is something that um, can be a little bit of a pain point when you're working with this stuff. Um, I had, as, as you noticed in the other one, I was exporting the entire D3 stuff here, so I can you know, call whatever I want off of there. Um, 
with moment, I tried doing that, export star as moment from, or, oh, actually it wasn't as star, or as moment. Export star from moment, I tried doing that and it says, oh, they use the export equals, so you can't do that. And I was like, man. But as it turned out, for this simple example, all I really needed was the moment class, and so I was just able to do that. If you wanted to pull other things out, you can do that. Um, but again, the, the actual moment, I've, I've exported the moment static type. And so most of what you're going to need, you're going to be able to get between these two types here. So it won't be too big of a deal. Um, for this example, what we want to do is create an input box that um, you put a date in, and then you'll use moment to display the relative time of that date. So like three days ago or you know, five years ago or whatever. Moment has a uh, function called uh, from now that allows you to do that. I was thinking it would be really cool to implement that as a pipe in Angular. So let's go ahead and create our uh, pipe. We're going to call it moment from now.pipe.ts. And I'll go ahead and grab the content from that. Um, this was the first time I actually created a pipe, so that was kind of cool. Um, it's really quite easy. So I named it moment from now. It's not a pure pipe because um, it's always going to be going off of now and now changes. So I put pure as false. Um, again, I'm injecting the moment token so that I can have an instance of moment or rather a, a reference to the moment library there. Um, in the transform, I'm basically saying it could be a string, it could be a date, it could be a moment, really it could be anything. But the point is, if it's not a moment, I'm going to turn it into a moment um, by wrapping it with the moment function. And then I can just call from now on it. And you can see it has the full library available here. So that was a pretty easy win. Um, compared to what we did on the last one, this is pretty simple. Um, so I went ahead and created a sample here. Uh, let's see. I'm going to give a little bit away here. Dates sample.component.ts. And so what we're doing here is we're, we've got an input and we're going to pipe it to moment from now to give you an example of, you know, how far away from now it is. We can go over here and take a look at this, and I can say, oops, I'm, I've given away a little bit of the secret sauce from later. So let's just say, uh, how far is it from Christmas? Oops, 2017. That's in four months. So our moment pipe is working here. Now, there's some other considerations here. I'm not showing like this whole, you're not supposed to just give it garbage kind of thing. I could clean that up with a little bit more time, but the point is bringing moment in was pretty easy and getting that to work with the pipe was pretty simple. Any questions on that before I move on to the elephant in the room of jQuery? Nope. All right. Nope. Cool. So um, 
I wanted to do a jQuery example because there's, I mean, even though Angular is awesome, you look out there and, you know, still over 90% of websites that are using JavaScript libraries are using jQuery. So it's quite common in a you know, professional setting, you might have to end up integrating with some jQuery stuff eventually. Um, so I, I decided to go with the jQuery date picker because um, it's a pretty simple example and it gets the jQuery UI um, put through there and uh, everything. So let's go ahead and do that. Um, so in this case, jQuery, it's kind of a little bit different because as I said earlier, you know, it just wants to be in charge of everything. It wants to own the DOM. It wants to have globals everywhere. And all of the libraries that use jQuery depend on that, um, jQuery UI especially. So I wasn't able to wrap it up in a lib.ts. At least I wasn't able to in the time that I had figure out how to make that work well. But what I did do was figure out how to get it to work with the head of time compilation and not be able to sacrifice that. So in order to do that, what I had to do was first of all, I went into our, let's close some of these things, clean that up, into our Webpack folder here. And here we've got um, some plugins that are listed here. And I went in and created a Webpack, uh, oops, oh man, I haven't imported Webpack. That's kind of funny. I think in a Webpack config file, you'd have Webpack. <laughs> webpack dot provide plugin. And I'm passing that some stuff that we're going to use globally here. So we're going to use dollar, and that's going to reference the jQuery package, which again, we just npm install that. jQuery, jQuery and window.jQuery is going to be jQuery. And we'll make sure we actually have those. Add jQuery, jQuery, dash UI, and that's the official package for jQuery. We'll let that do that its thing there, and we'll grab the types for it in just a moment there. But basically, that's that's the secret sauce with Webpack. And you know, if you have other loaders, you might have to do other things. Um, in an ASP.NET um, one that I was looking at with a colleague of mine the other day, they actually just had to add it to the index.chhtml because they didn't have Webpack, um, or, or you can add it to script bundles or things like that. So the, the point is you want to make sure that this ends up being available um, through whatever bundling uh, system you're using. Yarn add types jQuery and add types jQuery UI. Whoops, UI. And that one doesn't have a dash, which is kind of weird. But that brings in those types. Okay, so now that we've got that set up, we can do basically what we need to in our directive. 
um, as I said, directive. Uh, we're going to create a directive so we can use the jQuery date picker on an input element. So I'm going to call this jqui date uh, picker dot directive dot ts and stick all this into here. Basically what I've done here is I've referenced the types here because I'm not going to, well, actually I may not even need to reference those there if I'm doing the import. I don't know, I'll play around with that later. But the thing that I had to do so that Webpack would recognize we're actually using jQuery and that it needed to not tree shake it out of our app is do these import statements. So I did a jQuery, I imported the CSS, I had to add the CSS loader for that. And then I add in the widget state picker. Um, then for my directive, I said it needed to be an input and it had to have jQuery UI date picker as well as engine model, which comes from Angular forms, um, which I also added in. Um, so this is one thing that I learned that was kind of cool. Um, if you have a directive or a component that is doing things outside of the change detection and you want to kind of bring that back into the, the ng model change detection, you can just specify an output event emitter called ng model change. And then um, what you do is whenever things change, you can just emit that value and it will bind it back into the ng model. Um, so that was pretty cool. The other thing that I needed to do was make sure that, um, oh, and this could be actually ng after viewing it instead of checked, but I, I did a is, if is platform server return. Um, so Angular provides a platform ID that you can inject in, that's just an injection token that gives you your platform ID. And it also in, Angular Common, you have this is platform server and is platform browser, which allow you to detect what platform you're on. Um, and in this case, we don't want to do anything with DOM if we're on the platform server. So we're just going to skip that. Um, and then we can just wrap jQuery around this l.native element that we've injected in. So this is an element ref to the the element that the directive is on. So we can inject that, wrap it in here, and then jQuery will be able to just do whatever we would normally do with jQuery. And you see we've got the auto-completion for date picker. Um, it has a select callback that we can use to push that value. When the date picker selects, it'll push that value back into ng-model. So now that will go through the change detection system. And so, um, bring that back up here. Yeah. Joe, is that platform server check something that we're going to want to do on a regular basis if we know this third-party lib is touching the DOM, or is it maybe conditional on saying, look, are we going to, you know, think about doing server-side rendering or other things down the line? Um, or is right. it just good practice so to probably do it, that? It's, it's kind of a case-by-case -case basis. Um, with the D3, I didn't end up needing to do that, and it worked just fine with the, the AOT. Um, so it just really depends. I'd say just throw it in there, see if it works. If it blows up, try throwing in the platform server. Obviously, you don't want to divert your code too much and have it branching out, you know, 
having completely different app if you're server versus client um, wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. So you want to be careful in, in not going overboard with it, but it's there for a reason, and if you need to use it, use it. Cool. At least that's, you know, my two cents. <laughs> so now we've got the date picker. We don't have all the CSS working. I wasn't able to figure that out. But it does have some of the CSS working. I think we're missing some images and stuff. Um, so I'll, I'll go through and try to figure that out. But we can select a date here, and it will tell us. And July 10th was roughly two months ago. Or, you know, we can go way far back. And... Well, that was two years ago. So we've got that all working through there. Um, this uh, I, I built this using prod mode with full AOT and everything. Um, you can see that the uh, if we refresh this, we don't have the Angular compiler shipping with it. Um, otherwise, that would be well over a megabyte there. So everything's working with AOT. Oh, that's kind of funky. And uh, definitely there's some room for improvement, but we've got it working. So anyway, that, that's kind of my examples I was able to pull together in the time that I had over the weekend. Um, does anyone have any questions or like, you know, other comments or tips or tricks that you've seen when uh, pulling third-party stuff in? I had a question about that sure. ng model changes that that's something because i've seen ng model changes something in angular already is that a variable name that you came up with or is that you because it looks like that's what you named your variable but then to me that would be confusing because i think ng model change is actually a thing already yeah so i i don't know i i haven't played around with it enough but when i was searching around trying to figure out how to bind it back to ng model everyone was always using that exact name so i think it might be a special thing in Angular, and it just works if you name it that. Um, I could try changing it and seeing if it still works, but um, that's the one thing that I was able to get it get it to do. I, I, I mean, because you can em emit all kinds of events, but they won't always go back to ng model. I think that's something that is special. So I got you. It's cool. um, it's actually if you put change on the end of an emitter with the input. So if you were to put um, like, not ng model, but like selected index change, that would essentially automatically happen when the selected index is changed. It's like a- Oh. Index. So it's- Yeah, so it okay. on the end of any of your variable, it's gonna pick it up and it's gonna, in the, like the digestive will know to, to get that? Yeah, that's cool. That is cool. I, yeah, I didn't know that. That is really, really neat. We always learn extra stuff on Angular Air. Yeah. Yeah, and as I said, I mean, I, I've done things like this before. I've never actually gone through and done jQuery before, and so that was a little bit of a challenge over the weekend for me to figure out, but I think it was pretty cool. Hey, so I have a question. Sorry. Go ahead, Bonnie. I was going to say, I wonder if that would like, we, we could do like, we can start naming our outputs Panda Change. And as long as yes. you have the end, it would be, I might do that from now on, Austin, since I learned that trick from you. Everything's going to be called. With the emoji, emoji too. The emoji. Well, yeah. 
Sure. But before you do panda change, wouldn't you have to have like a panda directive or a panda uh, event? Panda Does everyone have a panda directive in their project? <laughs> That's true. I, I true. guess it, the the real question is is when is Panda JS coming out? Austin, I, I think know. that's on Panda. I need to like still jump on that domain name before someone gets it. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh. That, that'll work announcing it here, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably already registered now. I think my daughter's going to steal it and your and your mask. Right. <laughs> All right, so I've got a question on um, the thing I was mentioning a little bit earlier with the like running outside of Angular in the case where you run into these libraries that are doing like set timeout or set interval or stuff like that. Right. Um, can we discuss that just a little bit? Um, Absolutely. I don't know, maybe we could yeah, so or something. Yeah, and I didn't have any in my example, but um, there is a bunch of zone stuff that you can uh, bring in. I'm, I'm trying to remember where the I think the ng zones in in core. So let's really quick describe like what the problem is, like what what happens and what why we have to kind of do this like um, sort of thing. Yeah, so Angular's kind of got um, its thing going on, but sometimes you need to run stuff outside of Angular um, for various different reasons. I don't know if anyone else could um, describe that better. <laughs> yeah, so, so I I brought in. Oh, go ahead, Austin. Well, I was going to say I've got a drag and drop library that. Um, when you drag things, it is emitting those events, right? Uh, it's it's using like the native DOM events, and Zone would try to run every time that event was executed. So what I had to do is I had to actually fork it, and then everywhere where it was doing that drag event, I had to do this dot zone dot run outside of Angular, mm -hmm. um, and then that that allowed me to still do my operation, but it was running them outside of the zone detection, so it wasn't triggering a change like all the time. Uh, every time I dragged something, so it was like a performance issue that I had to do. Yeah, that's a good example. But yeah, that's it's pretty easy to do that, and I really love how the zone is just right there. You just import it, you inject it. And then you can just run outside of Angular, or you can actually run stuff. I believe this runs inside of Angular, right? Um, inside Angular's zone. And then I'm not sure Guarded does, but but yeah, that's that's a really good thing. If you're having performance issues, you have something that Angular needs to not care about, yeah. And then run it outside the zone. Yeah, because some of the things you'll see, like I brought in a library that uh, updated a scroll bar, did like a, a scroll bar within a DOM element, so it simulated a scroll bar, right? And and this thing inside of it somewhere had a set timeout or set interval that it was checking and constantly updating that in case the, the DOM changed. And mm -hmm. so, you know, didn't really notice anything for a while, then all of a sudden, um, looking at it, could see like uh, classes in other parts of my application changing in the DOM on a regular cadence, right? And that was because change detection was firing. And as a result of this thing having this set interval within it that was monkey patched through the zones that was triggering change detection that now my app is just constantly doing change detection because of that. And so th that's when I discovered that and I had to go back in and say, okay, that's a third party lib and I need to wrap that up. 
um, in the calls to it in order to make sure that change detection doesn't fire as a result of that. So sometimes these are the things that like not apparent when you bring in this third party library, uh, but you could notice over time all of a sudden that that's causing it. And so that's a, a good source to think about in terms of these third party libraries going, maybe I should check there and see if, if that's causing change detection to fire all the time. That's a good point. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, back when we were working with Angular 1, you know, the change detection was just happening, like, so much that we didn't even care, right? <laughs> but with with the new Angular, it's it's really important to, it, because we have those tools now to make sure that the performance is much, much better, we don't want to, you know, bring in these third-party libraries and just completely make it tank our Angular app. We don't, we definitely wouldn't want uh, Angular to be, destroyed just because you know we were irresponsible with our event handlers and other things like that <laughs> all right well, this has been really cool you covered a lot of stuff i think it's been really good a really good demo and and uh kind of illustrates some of these these patterns to kind of tackle as we bring in these third-party libraries into our angular applications yeah and again all the the complete examples on github I kind of skipped a few things just because I didn't want to worry about the time and everything. But if you go and look up the ng integrations off of github.com slash joskeen, um, you'll find that there. And uh, any suggestions or issues, I'd love to keep on growing this repository something, you know, samples of different ways of putting stuff that doesn't know about Angular in with Angular. Very nice, very nice. All right, well, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up, get to our picks, and and call it a day. Um, all right, anybody have any picks? Uh, Austin, you got some picks? Nothing today. All right, all right, that's fine. You, you still have a pass because you, you built up a lot of picks, so that we're good on that. Bonnie, what do you got? Can you hear me? Oh, there we go. Am I? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my so I I was actually minding my own business this weekend, and I and I came across the coolest thing, and I got a big kick out of it. Uh, there was a I don't know if you guys know about Neo Four J. Uh, they mm -hmm. do yeah. uh, GraphQL stuff. They're doing some really cool stuff, and it actually kind of uh, fit right in with with Joe's uh, D three thing because when I'm dealing with a lot of data, like I love to see it. You know, I want to see the data, and and when they do a, a a graphical interface like that, it just I just give you a big kick out of that. Anyway, so uh, uh, this guy, Michael Hunger, did an article. Um, there was a couple of us that were tweeting. There was a girl named Peggy who was looking for women who were using GraphQL. And I answered her and told her that I was talking about GraphQL at Angular Mix. And then this inspired Michael to do this uh, article. Uh, and it was really cool. It was like a, he wrote a, a query to find women on Twitter talking about GraphQL. And then my name ended up like right in the middle of because I was talking about, uh, and so I became a query somehow, and it was like super cool. I got the biggest kick out of it. Anyway, so I'll send you a link to that article. Um, but just in general, Neo4j, I think they're doing some really cool stuff, and I'm starting to play with it a little bit, and it's it's super fun. So check that out if you, especially if you're doing a lot of data and you want to see your data. I love to see the data. I can attest to the Neo4j stuff. I've been doing some stuff with that too. Uh, it's yeah, really and they're super cool. I, I, if you talk to those people and just like ask them, like, "Hey, what is this about? What does it do? Can you explain?" It? I mean, they're really cool. I was talking to Karen, uh, and she's a hoot. So yeah, I would, I would definitely, yeah, yeah. Neo4j is cool, 
And you guys are using that already, Austin? Yeah, we do it for um, cybersecurity incident um, uh, outlier anomaly and outlier detection to rate uh, incidents uh, to previously associated incidents. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. There's it, so many it, crazy math stuff that I just like use the package for, but uh, it, it works really well in, in terms of like traversing relationships, whereas you would have to use like joins and stuff like that uh, without some type of linked graph set. Yeah, I've just barely started uh, checking it out and I'm already pretty excited about it. So I'm going to be definitely doing some more stuff with them. Like the thing I tell people about like graph databases is graph databases are like um, how a person that doesn't have any knowledge of databases would think about databases, like just relationships to other entities. So if you think yeah. like a social graph, it's, it is a graph. Like, who are my friends, who are your friends, and how are we all connected? Exactly. Yeah, it's super cool. I cool. like to well, see it. Go, go ahead. No, no, I'm good. good. Okay. Well, staying on the topic of seeing things visually, um, my pick is GMaster, uh, gmaster.io. I haven't dove into it yet, but it's a um, graphical representation of uh, your version control and Git sort of thing. So gmaster.io cool. looks pretty cool. Um, kind of gives you the, the visual stuff for your branches and your trees and stuff like that. So another kind of Git client sort of deal. Um, I don't know, fun stuff. So I'm going to check it out. So that's my pick. Uh, Joe, do you have anything that you want to pick? Or I, plug or I, I have one. This isn't something I discovered recently, but I just was thinking about it when you were talking about the working with the DOM scrolling events and all that stuff. This is a, a library called jankyscroll.js. Has anyone heard, ever heard of this one? Heard of it, yeah. <laughs> so jankyscroll makes your website's UX undeniably worse. It's a JavaScript scrolling plugin that doesn't need to exist. So as I scroll down, you see that it kind of janks a little bit. So I just thought that was... It's pretty funny. Someone put this out as an April Fool's Day joke one year. I just think it's funny that developers have time to do kind of that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I totally know. Cool. All right. Well, uh, that's going to be our show for today. Joe, thanks a lot for coming on and taking the time and putting the stuff together and showing us this. We really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time. Absolutely. I'd love to do it again sometime. If, if you have an opening, let me know. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll have to do that show where we show how to do typing for third-party libraries and, and dive yeah, into that. Absolutely. For sure. Cool. All right. Thanks to all our panelists. Thanks to our guests. Thanks to our viewers for tuning in. Have a great week, and we'll catch you next week. Later. See you.